everyone. Welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm your host, Angela Donatio, Bible study author, adventure junkie, and founder of Voice of the Voiceless, empowering women in Africa. Join me here every week for inspiring conversations on discovering miracles in life's messy moments. Here's this week's episode. Well, welcome back to the Make Life Matter podcast. I am so honored and excited to have as my special guest today, Pastor Ejaz Navy. Ejaz Navy is the senior pastor of Faith Assembly Church, a Pentecostal church in Richmond Hill, New York, with a strong passion for impacting its community and the world at large. He is also a founding member of his church since it first opened its doors in 1984, and he has resided in Queens, New York for the past 34 years. He has a profound fervency and concern for the family in this time of endless attacks that this God-ordained institution endures. Prior to his appointment of the senior pastor of Faith Assembly, he was an IT systems consultant, and in 1989, he established an IT consulting firm in New York City that developed specialized software for New York City's medical transportation businesses. Simultaneously, he served the body of Christ as the church administrator and the assistant pastor. As a senior pastor, his continuous primary objective is teaching only the word of God with an undeniable anointing of the Holy Spirit. His bold and unwavering conviction is the word of God is applicable to every area of our lives and is indispensable to realizing optimal peace, holiness, success, and love. He is married to Sandra, who has been his strong, constant, and supportive partner in their journey together as disciples of Jesus Christ. For over 33 years, they've been blessed with a flourishing marriage that has produced two sons, Eric and Kevin, who are serving the Lord and the church in various ministries. He also serves as a co-chair for global networking in the Global Church Network. He also works with GCN to establish hubs across the world. He is the founder of Pray NYC, an organization that was formed during the early days of the pandemic. We're going to talk about that in just a moment and the powerful lessons he can share with us uh, that we've learned how to lead throughout a crisis in a pandemic. And he was able to bring churches and pastors together to pray. To date, over 70,000 people have joined in these prayer initiatives. Well, welcome, Pastor Ejaz. I'm so honored to have you on the podcast today. It is such an honor to be with you, Angela. And it's, it's, I'm just honored to be with you and your audience. Thank you for inviting me and um, having me today. Well, absolutely. We had the joy and privilege of teaching together at a Global Church Network hub, maybe some six or eight weeks ago, and we've worked together with James Davis. Dr. Davis has been on this podcast as well. So we've had a chance to talk and connect there. And and one of the things we discussed there, Pastor Ejaz, was the way you found yourself at the epicenter of the pandemic there in Queens, New York. And I really want to dive into all of that in just a moment and the way you led through that and the lessons that we can learn of how to lead through a crisis and how we can move forward. But first, I'd just love to invite you to share your story a little bit with people who maybe are not familiar with you and your ministry. Tell us a little bit about your background and and how God has used you. Well, um, Angela, um, I... um come from Guyana, South America. That's where I was born. Um, if you listen to my name, Ejaz Nabi, um, you realize that that's not a Christian name. So I came from 
um, didn't come from a Christian background. And um, the, the Lord radically touched me and saved me and, and pulled me out of um, that particular religious background. Mm. Um, it, it was it was a tough um, time for me to become a Christian because um, coming from a background in which uh, my family um, was very religious, um, my grandfather um, was actually the first Guyanese um, to go to pilgrimage in Mecca. My mother um, was very religious, and um, I was brought up um, in very strict uh, religious um principles but um the lord touched me as as a young person growing up i was looking for answers and and, and the lord touched me and saved me and radically changed my life mm. and um i subsequently um you know became a preacher of the gospel of jesus wow. christ um so god brought us to new york city some 30 something years ago my wife and i and um, we, in 1984, um, we joined with um, some other folks and we pioneered um, a church with some others um, in New York City. Um, and um, that church has, has grown and developed and has become um, one of the most vibrant and growing churches um, here in the city, um, in the borough of Queens. Um, so, you know, that gives me a glimpse of, of, of my story. Uh, so just to clarify, so were you raised uh, with a, a background of Islam as your family origin religion? Yes, I, I, I came from a Muslim background, um, you know, very steep. My family was very steep. My mother could recite the Quran from back to front. My eldest brother was an imam. Mm. Um, and so I grew up in that culture. And... Um, and, and that's where the Lord pulled me out and he saved me. Mm. And what was that like to, you know, we, we do a lot of work in Africa. We have a church in Northern Ghana. Our church has planted a church in a, in a 95% Muslim area. So I have had the joy of working with so many uh, Muslims in my lifetime and have, have still to date Muslim friends and those that have come out of Islam and been converted. So so what was that like, even having to walk through that situation with your family? I know that can be very difficult, Pastor Ejaz. And then I wonder how that prepared you uniquely to minister, especially in such a diverse region like New York City. It was a tough journey. Mm. It was a difficult journey because the, because the first thing that happened um, that is that, you know, is you you feel that um, you're, you're made to feel that you've let down your family. You shame mm-hmm. your family and, okay. and, and, and your family is shamed because now um, your parents are shamed. They don't get the respect that um, they probably would have had before in, in the mosque and in the community. So, you know, my family had to deal with that. Um, there are members of my family who ostracized me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. Some of them did not speak with me for, decades uh, because of uh, my conversion. Um, But what what I learned during those times is going through the hardships is that I I, I knew who Jesus Christ was because I experienced him in my life. And I knew that there was going to be no turning back. I had made that decision from day one. Mm. 
Mm. Um, when, when I got baptized, I, I had to hide and get baptized. I, I couldn't let my family know that I, I was going to get baptized. They subsequently, you know, they discovered that, um, that I got baptized. Um, and, um, you know, so what, what I made up my mind be, that I was going to follow Jesus Christ regardless of what the cost was. Mm. And, and the cost was heavy. The cost was heavy to me personally. The cost was heavy um, in terms of family and relationships. I knew that I was going to have to walk this road alone and I was not going to get the support of any family, the love of any family. But God, God gave me the grace and the strength. And, and it was, he uniquely prepared me to come to New York City and to be able to, to stand here in this city that is so unique and that is so diverse and to be able to reach people from any part of the world because I can empathize with their story. I understand where they're coming from. Um, but Angela, the greatest thing in my life was the fact that I knew that Jesus Christ was real. This, the, he was real and that serving him is powerful. Wow. And it's such a powerful story. And I thank you for your honesty and vulnerability because, you know, this podcast is heard in almost 130 countries and there may be someone listening who you're, you're walking through this exact thing. You're feeling ostracized from your family or you're, you're the cost of saying yes to Jesus comes with a very, it's a very high cost. We don't really understand that fully in America. We might feel like we're persecuted at times, but uh, it's really nothing like uh, what is experienced in, in other countries or those choosing to leave religions like Islam. So thank you, Pastor Ejaz. And I, I just, out of curiosity, maybe a listener is asking, and I'm just curious, you said there's nothing mattered more to you than knowing Jesus is real. How did you know that you knew that Jesus was real when you staked everything you had in your life on it? Well, it, it, it started with my conversion. Um, I... I was converted in, um, in, in, in an open air meeting in, um, in my village where I lived, uh, you know, the church came to that meeting and, um, to that place to hold a meeting. And, um, I went there with others, um, and, and our purpose was to go there to just break up that meeting to just cause confusion. Mm. And, um, and so there we were, um, young men, you know, trying to create havoc and to disturb this meeting and to break it up. And um, the preacher began to speak. And um, as he began to speak, I found myself, instead of breaking up the meeting, I found myself being drawn to what he was saying. Mm. Um, and then at the end, he asked if anybody wants to give their heart to Jesus Christ. And I didn't know what was happening to me, but he asked for, you, for, for that person to come forward. And, and, and me being a Muslim, being a part of a group that came here to break up this meeting. I don't know what happened, Angela, but I ended up in the front. Wow. Standing there to give my heart to Jesus Christ. Hmm. I prayed that prayer and I knew that something radically had happened in my life. I felt the power of God. I felt, I felt a change in my life. I knew that God had touched me. I, I, I felt for the first time in my life what real love felt like and what it felt 
to experience the love of God. I knew at that moment, in that moment, that Jesus Christ was real mm. and I had experienced him. And it, it became such a moment um, in my life that I couldn't go back. I, I, I absolutely um, could not because I had experienced him. Mm. I, I just experienced him radically changing who I was. And, and, and I knew his power at that moment to change a life. And, and, and that was, you know, what happened. And, and so I knew that Jesus Christ is real. Wow. It's almost like it reminds me of Paul when he was Saul on the Damascus Road. And Paul, you know, as Saul, he needed such a strong confirmation. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was radical. He was zealous, but he was his zeal was misplaced. And I, you know, God, of course, knows how he's designed us. He knows our kingdom potential. And he also knows, knows the way in which we need to encounter him in such a profound way that, like you said, there will be no going back, even when the cost is, is heavy, as you said, and you've experienced that throughout ministry. Probably if someone told you at that moment that you'd be pastoring a leading church in New York and through a pandemic. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be at the epicenter of the pandemic. You know, we don't know when we say yes to God, what all that yes is going to entail. So the, the strength of the call that came to you, it sounds like it, it just was the underpinning that you needed to be able to have the confidence to serve him, no matter what was going to be coming in the future. Absolutely. And looking back, I, now I realized what God was doing. Wow. That this was um, his call upon my life. And that in this walk, I was going to walk with him and know him and trust him personally. And so that has been the pivot of my life, um, regardless of what I go through, to know that he is real and I can place my faith in him and my trust in him. Because regardless of what the, the hardships are, and, uh, and hardships are real for many of us who come from other religious backgrounds. It is real. And sometimes um, I, I, I talk with pastors who are Americans and, um, and, 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 and they, you know, talk about the, some of the struggles that we go through in America. In fact, just a couple of weeks, I was in a pastor's meeting and they were talking about expecting hardships and difficulties coming to the church. And I looked at them and I kind of smiled and I said, I don't think the American church really knows what hardship is exactly. and what difficulties and what it means to really give up a lot to follow Jesus Christ. Hmm. Well, and I think those kind of challenges uh, reveal where we think we have maybe more trust in God than we really do, or when the rubber meets the road and it gets difficult, it gets hard and it, and it may become much more difficult in the American church, but I, I completely agree with you, pastor, that, that um, it's a, you know, it's a, almost an arrogant position as Americans to, to feel like somehow, you know, we're not exempt and the rest of the world has been undergoing persecution for, for centuries. And uh, maybe we're beginning to get a, a, a glimpse into that or a taste of it, but it's, it's a necessary preparation for us to, to truly be, 
the followers of Jesus and the leaders that he's wanting us to be. So I want to ask you what it was like to lead through a pandemic and some of the, the leadership lessons you learned that you've extracted from it and that you can deposit into us as we move forward. You know, as people are listening, they may be in different, still various stages of what this pandemic is meaning for them. But what are some of the things you learned and lifted out of it that you can share with us as we navigate? Maybe it won't be a pandemic in the future, but just a crisis and the challenges that we all might face. Uh, because I know God uniquely positioned you there, Pastor, and I'd love to hear your your wisdom and insights. Well, um, you know, here we are in New York City. Our church is located in the borough of Queens, and um, you know, and just uh, about about three miles away from JFK Airport. And and as you know, JFK Airport is is the gateway to America. It's where um, you know people from Europe and every part of the world come to America. And um, here we were in, in in the beginning of of, of 2020, and, and we were hearing you know, just mutterings about this, this, this thing that's happening in some other part of the world and not really paying attention and knowing what is happening. And then, um, then it, it, March came, our church, um, we had this, our service on, on March 15th, Sunday morning service, just a normal Sunday morning service. And as, as, as I'm speaking, I see our state senator walk into the church and he walks quietly and he comes all the way to the front row and and he sit and he's seated there and then after I'm finished preaching and we do all the stuff that we do I recognize him and I just said senator would you like to greet the church this morning and he said sure pastor and 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 he came up and, and he just said pastor I came this morning because I want you to know that I've got word that the entire city this week is going to shut down and and that was a, such a shock to us because for us in New York City to shut down the city yeah. that never sleeps. Mm. I mean, here's a city that at two o'clock in the morning, I can go to a diner and get a steak dinner. Right. All right? and, 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 and he said, unfortunately, we're going to shut down everything and the church will not be allowed to, to have any services in person because of the pandemic. And then, and then it began to dawn on us as, as, as that week, and the weeks that within two weeks, you know, we had an average of 800 people that died every day. Um, fear gripped our neighborhoods. Um, people were literally afraid of opening their windows because nobody knew what was happening. Um, we was, people were so fearful. Um, we were locked down in our house literally for two months. People did not go out on the street. It was New York City was absolutely quiet. Times Square that had that has you know literally hundreds of thousands of people that go through every day was empty. And all you heard during the day was sirens. And you wow. know that they were picking up somebody to the taking someone to the hospital or somebody was dying. The mortuaries, the funeral homes were so backed up that that dead people were placed in trailers. They just could not handle it. Um, the city was ma- building using mass graves to bury people, and and it was in that background. And here we were as a church in the epicenter, in the middle of this, and death was all over. And so we're faced now, I'm faced as a pastor, as a church, how do I minister to a city that is dying, that is hurting? How do I bring hope to people? 
And, and it was during this time that I, I, I immediately learned some, some lessons. So the first lesson I learned is that when there is a crisis, there are two options. One, to cower in fear or to step forward in courage. Hmm. And, and I believe that the first thing that a leader needs in a time of crisis is courage. Because without courage, you cannot go forward. And, and, we, and, and so with courage, knowing that in any crisis, there are opportunities. And so what I started to do is to look and I asked myself, what are the opportunities in this crisis? And, and I began to see great opportunities in the crisis. And, and the first opportunity I saw is how do we as a church minister to our community? Mm. And, and how do we move out of the four walls of our church and take the church to people? And when I say take the church to people, it included obviously, um, you know, having church on live stream and Facebook and all of that. But we, we thought, well, we need to go beyond that. We need to let our community know that in a pandemic, we care about them. Right. So, so what we started to do immediately in the midst of this pandemic was we started to identify people in our community who were vulnerable, people who needed food, who needed their prescriptions, who needed groceries every week. And we muster an army of volunteers in our church who were not fearful. Mm-hmm. And in the pandemic, when everybody else was fearful, every Saturday, we would take groceries to all these people who needed it. And we would pray for them. We would minister to them. And so um, that was the one of the first things that the Lord showed me. Look for opportunities in the pandemic of how you can love people and how you can let people know that the church is there to minister to them, even in the greatest of crisis. Mm. And, 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 and that, that, that became such a powerful thing. I remember it, it, just before the pandemic, um, there, there's a homeless gentleman that started to come to our church. And, and, and just as the pandemic started, he was sleeping in the park. And, um, and, and, and we were able to get him. His name was Dennis. And I'll use his name because he passed away since. And Dennis, we, we were able to get Dennis um, housing. Mm-hmm. And every Saturday, we would get Dennis food. And, and, and we would take food and, and everything that he needs. And, and I remember my phone ringing one morning at 2 a.m. And I was, you know, when, when a pastor gets a call at 2 a.m., you dread it because, you know, it's bad news. Yeah. And on the phone was Dennis. And Dennis was crying. And I said, Dennis, why are you crying? And he said to me, Pastor, what you and your church has done for me, nobody in my life has done this. Wow. Nobody has ever loved me like your church has loved me. And I said, Dennis, you know, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. Can we talk about this later today? He says, Pastor, I just wanted you to know this. Two Saturdays later, one of our one of our one of our the guys from our church will call me. He's at the he's at the place at the shelter where Dennis lived, and he calls me and he's in tears. And he says, Pastor, I'm here to, to drop off stuff for Dennis. And Dennis passed away. Mm. And it broke my heart. It broke the heart of many people in our church who were working with him. 
But I, I'm glad that God brought us through that experience. And what he taught us is that he's brought us into the world to love the unlovely and to love the unlovable. Mm. Mm. And that was such a profound thing in the pandemic that God taught me that is that the this, this lesson the church must be relevant to its community. Mm. And the church must know its community. The church must know what are the problems of its communities. Mm. Um, the church must know who make up the community. The church must be able to partner with its community to solve the problems of the community. And, and one of the greatest things that I've learned is that when we become interested in people's lives, it earns us the right to present the gospel with credibility and power. And that's good. That's good. And, 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 and that was one of the most profound things that I learned in this pandemic. To, to be a person of credibility that when I stand, that I stand that people know that I really care about them. Mm. And it gives me credibility to speak to them about the love of Jesus Christ. Mm. Do you think you knew, do you think you knew that intellectually prior to the pandemic, but walking through it maybe gave you a deeper revelation and understanding of that? Oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. I, I think I I, I absolutely I, I knew that, but uh, I, I think the, the the pandemic crystallized it and it brought it out of me. Yeah. Um, it it just pulled it out there that that you know. You had to become interested in people. And, and I think that's one of the shifts that, that has to take place with the church going in the post-pandemic world, that we have to understand that it's no longer about people coming into our building to see what we have. Um, it, it, we, we, we must move, I believe, from corporate worship, which is important, but the community engagement. Mm, and, and we must move from being an attractional church um, and move from a performance-based church to a missional mindset. And, and I, I believe that's one of the greatest shifts that the church will have to make in the post-pandemic world. How do we become relevant to our community where we exist? That's powerful. That's right. so powerful. And those are great insights. I know you said you had two major lessons. I don't want to, I, I don't want to end our time without making sure you get to share. It's so good. I want you to share everything that's on your heart. All right. No, and, 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 and the other lesson that I learned um, is the power of prayer, hmm. the power of prayer. And, 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 and what the Lord has taught me is, and, and I knew this from before, but I, I was able to apply it in the pandemic that prayer must become the central activity of the church. And sometimes even though we know that in all the busyness of church and programs and activities, and sometimes even our success, we kind of lose um, what it means to be praying. Yes. And, 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 and we lose that very often. And, um, and so when the pandemic hit us here in the city, um, the Lord spoke to me and the Lord says, you know, the, the solution is prayer. And, um, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord placed in my heart, well, you need to pull all the leaders of the city and you need to pray. 
Now that's a tough thing to do in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Um, to bring leaders, as you know, Angela, one of the hardest things to do is to bring leaders together to pray. Yeah. And um, I, 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 I bantered with this thing in my mind for about two weeks, and then um, I decided it was so strong in my heart that I need to do something. And um, and so we, I, I, I stepped out and I started to call um, key leaders in our city. And as soon as I called them, they said you know, let's do it. And so what we did um, on Easter Sunday of 2020, we had the first Facebook prayer meeting in which we would bring together pastors and leaders from across the city. And and in that meeting, we had 3,000 people that showed up on Facebook to pray. And everybody said, well, this is great. Let's do it again. And then the next meeting we had, um, we got together a few weeks later uh, and, and we got together to pray. And to our surprise, 20,000 people showed up on Facebook to mm-hmm. pray for New York City. And, 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 and everybody w- was just amazed that the city would get together and pray. And, and, and so we, we, we founded this, you know, just a name, Pray NYC, just an ad hoc name on Facebook and PrayNYC.org is a website. And we said, hey, we're going to pray. And, and the Lord began to use this as a catalyst in our city to bring together leaders from various denominations and to just pray, to just pray. Today, you know, we have we have had meetings where there are over 70,000 people that have gathered together wow. Wow. to pray. And right now we're, we're, we're in a move in New York City. It has rejuvenated the power of prayer. And, and, and leaders in New York City are now saying that um, for the next few years, we're going to focus on bringing together 250,000 people in the city to pray for this city every single day. Wow. And we know from history that prayer precedes every great revival and awakening and persecution also leads to an awakening. And, and it sounds like that's what's happening. Is that still happening now? You still have the Facebook prayer group. Is that something people can join if they want to pray? Yeah, we yeah they can follow uh, Pray NYC on Facebook, and they will okay. get notified of, um, of of events. And we continue to have it. In fact, last night we had a prayer meeting. Next Sunday night there's going to be a prayer meeting, and then on Pentecost Sunday there'll be a prayer meeting. Uh-huh. We just continue um, to have these prayer meetings, and, and you know um, when they when all the disturbances happen in our nation and in the city here. It was it was it was these prayer meetings that we had um, that helped us. And I'll just share very quickly. One of the most powerful prayer meetings we had was in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of the disturbances, where we went out into a, into the, into a park in New York City, and we got together with pastors and leaders, and we invited the police of New York City to come to the park. And it was one of the most profound things. When everyone was scared in the pandemic, but we went there in the park and we prayed and we had we we, we had about eight thousand people and we prayed. And at the end, we asked the police if, if we can pray with them. And one of the most amazing things was that all the police that was in that park, they stepped forward and they came to the altar and they asked us to pray for them. Wow. And, and there was this great image of these police officers lifting their hands before the Lord and saying, please 
pray for us that God will give us wisdom mm. to deal with what we have to. Wow. I believe it was the prayer of the church in New York City that helped us to survive the things that we went through here in the city. Wow. Wow. And literally you talk about frontline workers. You've been right on the front line, Pastor Ejaz. And thank you for your yes many years ago to the Lord, understanding the great cost of that obedience and not looking back. And thank you for your obedience now, the way you've led so um, with such integrity um, in, in, in such a difficult season. We're not completely out of this season, but you've given us powerful lessons that we can take with us. We can cower in fear or we can step forward and courage that there are opportunities in a crisis. What are the opportunities that we can see that we can ask God to show us? How can we love people and let them know that the church is here to minister to them? And of course, then the power of the prayer, prayer must become the central activity of the church. I think these things are going to be more crucial than ever. They probably were always crucial, but we were able to maybe depend on our own giftings or other things. And God has stripped all that away and said, this is, we're going to, we're going to drill it down to the most critical components of how we're going to lead moving forward in a post pandemic world, but still in a world very ravaged by sin, by hopelessness. And uh, thank you, Pastor Ejaz for the way that you have deposited. I, I know it's encouraged some leaders today and just some listeners that are still needing the hope uh, to move forward. I'm going to invite you to pray. I know you're a prayer warrior and I'm going to invite you to pray over our, our listeners in just a moment, but let us know again, how they can connect. You said prayNYC.org. Is that correct? The website? Yeah, prayNYC.org. And, and on Facebook, it's the, it's prayNYC. Um, and I'm on Facebook by simply my name, Ejaz Navi, and people can connect with me there. Um, and um, our church is um, faithassemblychurch.org, and people can connect um, with us there also. And powerful. And before we close in prayer, I always love to ask my guests one last question, and that is when you get to heaven, other than Jesus, what character in the Bible, what person in the Bible do you most look forward to meeting and having a conversation with? And is there any specific thing you want to ask them or a reason you want to meet them? Well, I... There's so many, but I'd, I'd love to sit with the Apostle Paul, and he's always fascinated me. Um, and, and, and I think what I would want to ask the Apostle Paul is about how he survived the prison. I visited the Mamertine prison in Rome, and I've looked at that, and I, I want to hear from Paul because of my own background and what I've gone through, but yet when I look at what Paul went through, it's nothing in comparison to him wow. that he loved the Lord so much that he was willing to endure all of that. And I want to hear from Paul, what kept him in those times and what caused him to survive prison that he was willing to go and offer himself in debt to the Lord. Mm, that's powerful. I'm not surprised it was Paul because he, I thought of him earlier when you were sharing your own story and, and uh, thank you. Thank you for everything you share with us, Pastor, today. We just continue to pray for you. Uh, you may not be still in the epicenter of the pandemic, but New York City is the center, epicenter of the world. And we, we know that God, as you positioned, like he did Esther and Nehemiah and Daniel and Paul, 
for such a time as this. So we, we pray for you as listeners, and we pray that God continues to strengthen you and equip you. And I'm going to invite you just to close our time, uh, pastor, if you would, by praying for our listeners today as well. Absolutely. Father, it is such an honor for us to join with Pastor Angela on this podcast today. I thank you for her. I thank you, God, for your call upon her life and the way you're using her to reach people across the world with this podcast. Thank you for, for her faithfulness and thank you for your grace and blessings. And so, Father, we, we, we pray for our listeners today um, who may be going through pastors and leaders, who may be going through struggles and difficulties, um, churches being closed and having to deal with the pandemic. Father, as you've helped us in New York City, we know that you are God who can help anyone. And Father, we're praying that you would that you would lift pastors and leaders and you will, will cause hope to arise in their heart. Let them know, God, that it is okay to place their trust, their confidence, and their faith in you. Let them know that you are a real God. And for those, God, who are listening to this and are wondering if you are able to save, Father, I pray that they will come to experience your love and your grace and the transformation that you bring. And even as you brought in my life, that they will come to know, God, that in the moments of crisis, that you are real. And in the moments of difficulties, they can place their faith and their confidence in you. And God, you will bring them through any and every situation. Let, let, let the people know, God, that you are for us. So, Lord, I thank you for this grace and this strength upon everyone here today listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. Season 2 is sponsored in part by Worley Dahlberg Yao PLLC. You can learn more about this award-winning law firm at lawfirmvirginia.com. I'd love to stay connected, so be sure to visit angeladonadio.com for books, free goodies, and opportunities to feature your ministry or business as a sponsor. Find me on Facebook at Angela Donatio VOV and Instagram at Angela Donatio, where we do podcast giveaways each month. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Until next week, let's make life matter.